At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Sophie Hagen, welcome to iWay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm all the better for seeing you. You're just a very soothing human being. You're a salve on my very stressful day. And immediately in your presence, I feel more serene. Oh, thank you. Uh, how do you feel at the moment? Do you feel serene? Bringing out a book is really intense, especially a very personal book. No, I don't feel serene. I think that would be a, a bit of an overstatement. Mm-hmm. I feel I am excited. I'm actually excited. And mm-hmm. uh, also just, it's, it just feels very vulnerable, doesn't it? You know, it's different than doing stand-up because you make a joke and a joke is in itself defensive. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like inbuilt defense. But this book is just very, very honest. And it's been written over the course of quite a few years. And then suddenly it's going to be out for everyone to read. It's, it's, it feels like releasing a diary, a very honest yes. diary. Yeah, and it's extraordinary. I hate the word brave, think it gets overused and used in the wrong capacities. But I do think it's a very bold thing to do that is extremely admirable because when people put out such personal bodies of work, it opens up in other people the ability they might not have had before to also face a similar thing that they are you know, going through. And you have a history of doing that through your stand-up and through your online presence. Um, Because not everything you say uh, online has always just been a joke. You've also talked about some (laughs) important and serious things. But I feel as though something that you represent to a lot of my friends in many different ways is you make them feel safe to think about and talk about certain experiences that they have that society has stigmatized. And I think that that's such an Extra- like it's so mad to me that you can be such a funny icon and then also hold a, such a significant space. So your book is called Will I Ever Have Sex Again? Yes. Tell us the premise of the book, please. The premise is uh, I haven't had sex since 2015 mm-hmm. and I felt very alone with that because it's not that I haven't wanted to. I have a sex drive. It has just not happened and whenever I've been close to it, I've started panicking a bit and it then just went on and on and on and for various reasons. And Mm. so the book is me looking into and exploring a specific amount of avenues that could potentially get in the way of having a sex life. So I look into sexual education, gender, sexuality, uh, body image, sexual trauma and neurodiversity and explore different ways that those things can be tricky for us when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. And then I also, half of it is like a diary thing where I then go into some of my mo- more personal reasons for why I specifically haven't had 
sex since 2015. Mm-hmm. And you even go into your virginity loss. Oh, yeah. I loved that story so much. I resonated with it so much of the way that it was built up and built up and built up and everyone's telling you, like, you've got to do this thing. It's such a big deal. And then you do it and it's like, that was fine. And if you're lucky, it was fine. Um, yeah. But like, is that what the fucking big deal was about? Because I was, I didn't, I was a really late bloomer. I didn't have my first kiss till I was twenty one. I don't think I got fingered till I was twenty two. I think I had sex around <laughs> the same year, uh, and I had been so, so not bullied about it because I think my friends really loved me. But everyone just found it really stressful that I hadn't engaged in any of these things. It was such an anti fucking climax. And it was nice. I had nice first-time sex, but I, I couldn't believe how much pressure I'd been put under. And you were younger than I was. You were sixteen, right? Yeah, but but in my in my social class where I grew up, that was old. Yeah, I was the very was, last. I'm from London. It's it. also old here. Yeah, if you don't have a baby <laughs> yeah. at eleven, it's weird. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're behind the times. When I think back on that time, it's such a. I really look back at it with so much love and affection because. It was so simple and my relationship to sex was so simple because it was mm. just, you know, we were young and I didn't have any hangups about it yet. It was just this, you know, oh, we tried this and I was like, yay, let's try it again. It can only get better. Yeah. You said you want to get back to that feeling, exactly. right? Of like, yeah, it was nice. Now suddenly it has become this messy thing because since I was 16, I'm now 35, let's call it 25. And... <laughs> This has been so much, right? There's been so much. I was this 16-year-old, you know, sure, I had confidence issues and I had all the things that teenagers deal with at the time. I was Mm -hmm. depressed and stuff. So it's not like I was, my life was perfect. But since then, whoosh, there's been just a bunch of, let's be honest, men uh, who have had an impact, (laughs) a negative impact on my my relationship with myself. And on top of that, you know, I realized I was non-binary. I've gotten a lot fatter than I was when I was 16. And it's just a lot of things that have been built on top of what was such a simple and joyful thing. And that's what I wanted to get back to through the book. And it's kind of what you want to hopefully guide, I guess, other people back to along with you is just taking this back to a lovely intimate moment that is hopefully carried out in a safe and respectful way that you can look on, look back upon fondly, even if not with like, you know, feelings of being massively impressed just still like, that was nice. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Well, early in the book, you do talk about 
the different sexual experiences you've had in like a, I wouldn't say like a great level of detail, but in a very intimate and honest way. And I guess that must be a very important way of telling that story. And and do those people know already that they've been written about in the book? Mm, no. No. That's all right. You're not naming I them. I don't think I've told any of them. No, no, I'm not giving them their... Oh, there's one of them. Uh, one of them uh, knows that he's in the book. He's also probably the only one I speak about super fondly. Um, mm-hmm. And I let him, because I still really like him, I let him choose his own his own fake name in the book. And he found <laughs> a great pleasure in that. <laughs> he um, was like, let me get back to you. Give me a week. I was like, a week? <laughs> and then he came back with like, here are my options and here's why I've chosen it. And I was like, that is why I uh, have loved you <laughs> forever. A hundred percent. Something that made me laugh out loud is when you talked about the last time you had sex, like, I guess it would have been around 2016, maybe, and um, how if you'd known that it was going to be the last time, um, how differently you would have, I guess, treated the moment. Would you feel comfortable to talk about that? I would have looked, I would have looked at that penis like I was, like it was a soldier and I was uh, the soldier's wife. And it was about to go to war, and I didn't know if I would ever see it again. You know, maybe given it a little squeeze, an extra little kiss. It would have been so intense in that moment. I would have been so much more intense. And I was already intense, but I would have been so intense in that moment. I would have taken a picture. I would have saved a little... Pol- it had to be a Polaroid picture, because that's more... That's just, that's more emotion in a Polaroid. It's more nostalgic, it would have been yeah. Such a, I would have made that a very beautiful moment instead of a very drunken... Booty call. <laughs> One tear would have strolled down my cheek. Yeah. As I You'd have put it back wiped in Wiped it trousers. off and smeared it on the penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, eye contact with the penis. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I love you. I love you so me. much. I love you so much. You're so ridiculous. <laughs> Where do you think all of the pressure? on sex has come from since you were 16? Is it magazines? Is it media? Is it films? Is it friends? Just out of curiosity, because I, I was trying to, I was wondering about this on the way here. That yeah. When did it feel, when did it become more serious? Like trauma, etc. aside, I just mean the general <laughs> messaging of what a vital, like, like the fact that even that it's shocking when someone hasn't had sex for a, a long time, or that people feel ashamed yeah. even to say that. Where do we think that pressure came from? In well, I think in general, patriarchy, blah blah blah, mm. right? You know, mm. it's a sex is a is often something that is very beneficial to within heteronormative relationships. It's usually quite beneficial to men. I don't remember the statistics now, but um, in terms of who gets an orgasm in sex, uh, it is usually men. And so I assume the pressure would come partly from that. I know for me, a lot of it is uh, internal pressure because there's a lot of, uh, when I think when you have low self-esteem, sex is one of the ways you could, in quotes, get validation. We now know that mm-hmm. that's not the best idea in the whole world to rely on mm-hmm. uh, someone to have sex with you to feel like No, it's actually better to, I think, I think Instagram likes is a really good way. Exactly. You want to go for the yeah, likes. Yeah, it's much go healthier. Go viral, yeah, or yeah, you yeah. are nothing, or you are yeah, nothing. Yeah, exactly. As a exactly. No, you get it. You get it. You're smart. Yeah. 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 We get. It. Yeah. I, I've gone viral. No big deal. And <laughs> <laughs> just feel feel better than sex with most men. But 
I am. Um, for me, it's it's that. For me, it was that. It was like I want to prove that I can have sex. I'm a fat person. I want to prove that I can have sex because I don't. You know, if if I can't have sex, then that must mean that I'm not worthy. I'm not valid. I'm not actually beautiful. I'm not actually lovable. All those things. And for me, it was that. It was like, oh, no one wants to have sex with me, so I am ugly. Or people will have sex with me, so I am pretty, <laughs> or whatever the the equation was. And there seems to be a kind of Venn diagram between low self-esteem and allowing yourself to be treated badly sexually, right? Yeah. Because you think there's some part of you that's like, well, I'm just lucky to be in the room, you know, yeah. or I deserve this. Yeah. And I think that that's a massive thing that so many people that I know go through. I have I have experienced that. And, and there are certain people who, I mean, whether they're intentionally predatory or not, pick up on that energy in someone. Oh, they know. And can take advantage of those people. Oh, they know. You have a you have a newsletter and you put out a questionnaire to your readers, I guess, around this subject and got so many replies that you had to shut it down. Yeah. Can you tell me about what information you received? And the reason this is so important is because, you know, I do sometimes like these kind of Ask Me Anything episodes of the podcast and... I I notice how many people, when they write to me about something, they, they kind of allude to the idea that they think they're the only person struggling with this thing. And yet I'm getting so many of the same question. And so I always think it's important to let people know how much they aren't alone when it comes to those subjects. And again, that's why your work and this book is so fucking important. Uh, can you talk to me about the results from that newsletter? Yeah, I, had to, I, I genuinely thought I would get 20, maybe, maybe 30 at a push of people who could relate to the idea of really wanting to have a sex life. And people who'd be willing to divulge. That too, that too. But I really didn't think, I thought it was such a rare experience. And they were in some ways all the same, and yet they were all extremely different from each other because they mm. all had that same thing in common, which is I'm a bit ashamed. I've not learned enough about this. I'm not sure why. Also, I think it's these reasons, and it was everything from a cost of living crisis. Uh, you know, our teenage, our teenager has had to move back in with us, so we're all sharing a room. We kind of, you know, we kind of sex because we're living in the same room as our child. It was everything from that to like uh, physical. It was a lot of physical issues, uh, vaginismus and uh, disabilities and stuff. Stuff that I'd never even considered or knew, knew could be a possibility. Uh, people, sexuality-wise, right? People who were queer but had never tried having sex with other than whatever the gender they aren't <laughs> you know i'm trying to say i know what you mean yeah <laughs> uh, like it's hard for me to because that's one yeah. of the things i can relate to because i'm non-binary and queer and i'm probably moving closer and closer towards uh f like fully gay than um being than straight but i've only ever had sex with men uh, and that's definitely, I could relate to so many of their stories because it was a lot of particularly women being like, I've never had sex with women before, but it's all I want to do and I don't know how to do it. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you and me both. And then there was low self-esteem was a big one. A lot of people who were like, I'm too fat. I can't find anyone because I'm not attractive. Uh, trans people, trans people who were like, no one's ever told me how to have, how to have sex as a trans person. You know, I don't know what to do with my, uh, for some who were post-op, they were like, I now have a penis or a vagina and I don't know what to do with it. I don't, I've, I'm, I'm nervous about showing it to people. I'm nervous what people are going to say, how I'm going to go about the world like this. And there were just a lot of questions and a, a lot of trauma. I think 99% of them were people who had experienced some kind of sexual trauma from 
you know, being exposed in the, you know, a man showing his dick in a park to full-on assault. There's so, so many stories. I had to take a lot of breaks in between reading them because there were so many of those stories. But the thing that we all had in common, all of us, was just, we all just really want to connect. We all just want to connect with people. It's People weren't like, I just want to fuck so I can get a f- an orgasm. People were just like, I would just love to have that intimacy with someone. And I was so, de- I really wanted to put everyone in the same room and just be like, hi, we're all human. We all have the same worries. We all have the same concerns. We're all scared. But also, we all think that we're alone with this. So what if we all just said hi to each other and then maybe, I'm not suggesting you will fuck each other. hundred people gangbang. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I'm also not saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to that book launch. For sure. Um, the trauma thing is really hard. And you talk to a lot of experts in the book in different areas, including a flirting expert, which I would love to talk to you yeah. more about because I yeah. think I, I would need their help. Um, I still can't flirt even for my own partner of nine years. And uh, it's he's a very patient um, person who's very good at reading very, very, very discreet signs. Um, but <laughs> will you talk to me about the flirtologist? She's amazing. Her name is Jean Smith, and she's written a book called Flirtology. She's, I, was so, I was so against the whole idea of her existence before I met her. I was like, ah, because I don't flirt either. I'm bad at flirting. I don't oh, it feels fake to me. It feels risky. It feels weird. And then I spoke to her and she's a ge- like she, The woman is a genius. The book is genius. I highly recommend. I recommend I'm going to get her on the podcast. About her, but also yeah. <laughs> read her book yeah. about it. The main thing I got from her, well, there was two things. One of them was, I straight up said to her, I was like, I'm neurodiverse in so many ways. I have so many like, tra- my brain is all traumatized and I'm an introvert and I think for me, flirting is when you roast someone. You know, I think it's flirting when someone is really mean to me. And she was just like, well, that's, then that's your way of flirting. You don't have to become another person to flirt. And I was like, oh, I, oh, oh, okay. So you don't have to be like blink, blink, you know, shoulder shimmering. Like, oh, you don't yeah, have I to do that. Yeah, I can't do that. That doe-eyed shit, I can't. We're not meant to. Can't. We don't have to. But the most yeah. important thing she said that really stuck with me was, because I said, well, rejection. We're all afraid of rejection. That's me projecting, mm-hmm. but I am afraid of rejection. And she essentially said, if we think of, of flirting as a gift, right? You see someone, you think they're attractive. You like them. That is why you want to flirt with them. So you just want to give them the knowledge that you think they're nice you're not expecting anything back. You're giving them a gift. Then you can't be rejected. And it just blew my mind that I could go up to someone and be like, you look amazing. I just want you to know that. And then I can walk away. And I have flirted and they could say, thank you. And then not do anything else. And I wouldn't be rejected because I've just given them a gift. <sighs> mind blown. That's a really lovely way of thinking about that and framing that. Isn't and it? I think that I think that also, you know, I've spoken about this recently on the podcast is that, you know, we don't talk enough about rejection. And a friend of mine, Jiminy Eborn, who's been on this podcast before, uh, talks about the fact that her work about consent is is like it begins with teaching children about rejection. 
and how to mm. reject and how to be rejected. And because we can't look at, or because we don't currently look at flirting as a gift, we see it as like a transactional expectation or an offer or pressure, some people feel like. And I understand why, because sometimes it can be offered to you in a very pressurized or threatening way. We also don't know how to receive the gift always yeah in a way that is also kind or gracious and so then we are all doing this like fucking infuriating and scary dance that again it's just like i just don't understand why we don't have more clarity around all these things like this thing is so complex it shouldn't be complex but it is it's been made complex and there are all these fucking rules but everyone's got their own different individual rules. There's no general even handbook or guideline for any of us. Uh, I mean, I guess there is now because of your book and all the experts that you've spoken <laughs> to. But we, we, we're so afraid of having the conversation and so instead just like dive in headfirst and uh, wish for the best, which just as you saw in your own research leads to what 98% of the almost 2,000 people who responded to you saying that they had experienced some sort of trauma. And that normally yeah. comes from the fact that people weren't prepared for what happened. I think, and that we don't have that, proper guidelines around this. What really shocked—not shocked me, but what kept coming back in all of the chats I had—I spoke to quite a few people and did a lot of research for the for the book. And safety was the big one. Like the big, if there was like an overall theme, it was safety. Mm. In order to have nice sex, we have to feel safe, and that doesn't necessarily mean we have to feel you know, physically safe, as in a tiger won't come and attack us kind of thing. Or we don't even necessarily have to feel safe that this person will never hurt me because we can never actually know that. Mm -hmm. But it's a safety within yourself and it's a safety that, um, that, that you will listen to your body and that you will do what your body tells you. And a mm -hmm. safety in feeling like you can express what you want as well. And then hopefully, ideally, that you can express that and it will be listened to and respected. Mm. And I think that is something that I've just never heard anyone say. Like when I grew up, when I was learning about sex, safety was never a thing anyone talked about. But every single thing I kept looking into when it came to flirting or gender or sexuality, it was all about... Because when I was imagining having sex with a, with a woman for the first time or anyone who just wasn't a cis man, I was so I got so scared and so anxious and I think it's because my body was like oh you're just going to do this thing that could be really scary and I kind of had to tell myself oh but I'm not going to do it if it doesn't feel very nice and good the whole time and it was as if I'd never made that promise to myself before because I'd mm -hmm. never considered that that was what I needed so now when I meet someone I like I still go into a panic but then I have to tell myself Oh, if you don't want to do this, we'll stop. It's like, oh, okay. Mm. <sighs> and then suddenly I feel more capable of doing it. And I think it's just one of those things that it's agency. We need to keep thinking about. It's agency. It's it's yeah, being, I've, yeah, I've, you can I've, set the boundary. I spoke about this like a few years ago about urging people to and I probably didn't word it as well as you did because I'm a stupid clumsy fuck, but I uh was trying to encourage people to be more focused on their own desire and more focused on like you know it don't suck a dick because you want a phone call back you know you want a call back to this audition of dating do you do merch for this podcast because that's a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> don't suck a dick for a phone call 
Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I think it's really important that we don't, you know, and I, I didn't use the terminology of self-rape, but I guess that's kind of what I was alluding to. And I think some people maybe perceived it as a kind of victim shaming. That wasn't what I was trying to do at all. I was trying to say that it would be so great for everyone, and I think especially women, but all people, to reclaim that agency and reclaim that feeling of like, you know what, I'm just going to... I'm. We are so far away from our bodies in every way. We are so detached, as we were alluding to earlier. And we really don't feel like we have the right to listen. We feel as though our bodies do not know best. And our bodies, the older I get, the more I learn that my body knows better than me or any of my friends or anyone else around me. My body is is smarter than I've given it credit for. And I think that that's something that I've become much more respectful of. And I, I, I know that there are certain things and pressures and power imbalances and stuff. And I think that it's okay to acknowledge those, but also remind ourselves that it's empowering to take back that responsibility. That when you are in a, you know, if someone's not literally threatening you, you do have the right and the responsibility to your body to walk away. And you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't. You should definitely remind yourself that you have that power. We take that power away from ourselves or society and programming takes it away from us. And this is a really important reminder from you for us to reclaim that because it never goes well. The thing that really blew my mind with that when I was doing the research was you can also say not right now. You don't have to just say no forever. And no Mm -hmm. isn't forever. In my head, it was like, if I say stop, then that's it. I fucked it. Like, we're done. Like, he's going to be angry. I'm going to be sad. It's all going to be. But there's also a possibility of saying, oh, can we pause for five minutes? <gasps> I had no idea. I had no idea you could say that. You could, oh, not right. No, can we give it a few minutes? I just want to, I just need to recenter. Like, can we just mm-hmm. do a pause? I don't, oh, if they are like, do you want to do this? You could be like, maybe. Let me figure it out. Let's explore this mm. together. Like curiosity. And it's, you, I think we think of setting a boundary as a punishment or like a slight you know, by saying no, I'm telling you to fuck off. When it's again because we no stigmatize rejection. Yeah. It's a gift. You're giving someone a gift. Like, I'm going to say no to you so we don't end up in a situation that's really uncomfortable for both of us because you also don't want to have sex with someone who doesn't want to do it. So I'm giving you the gift of honesty and of trusting you with this no or maybe. Um, can I tell you about something that actually didn't make it into the book, which is odd? It's just, it got so long at some point. But I went to see. Uh, a sex worker who I didn't know was a sex worker. I thought it was like a therapist. Uh, uh, that's a long story, but he, it was a lot of questions. I know, there. I know, I know, I know. The title on the website, I think, was not necessarily misleading, but could be interpreted in many different ways. One of which was I thought I was going to go and see a, a sex therapist. Um, that wasn't it. So <laughs> I arrive and it's in a dungeon. And were they just wearing like a sexy nurse outfit and you were like, that looks like a doctor? <laughs> no, no, it was. The, there were, listen, there were many, there were many signs. Um, okay. There were like hands on skin <laughs> and a photo on, on the website. And I was like, I, I just thought, oh, you know, it's like a sex positive. Caress of the yeah. arm. Oh, tell yeah. me about your childhood kind of thing. <laughs> it wasn't. So his job was to essentially, the point of it was, it was a three hour session. Again, I thought that's a long time to just talk, but I didn't put two and two together. The idea was that you would get naked if you wanted to, and then he would give you like an erotic massage and probably mm-hmm. an orgasm. But it was like therapy, but it was also sex. <laughs> so we arri- I arrived at this thing and he had a ponytail that should have given it away. And we were in this dungeon 
And I again, I thought, well, maybe it's really, you know, expensive to hire a, an office for a therapist in London. So we might have, have had to put us into this uh, latex covered room. And um, we start talking and he's very sort of what I would say flirty, like, hi, yeah, mm, that kind of vibe. And I was like, oh, he's sitting very close. And I was just, I was like, okay, so I grew up there and then my dad left and I was like trying to give him like a background information. And then at one point I said, okay, um, can I just, I'm just going to ask, what's the difference between what you do and um, uh, sex work? And he said, oh, nothing. I'm a sex worker. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. And at this point I hadn't had sex in seven years. And I was like, Okay, so I'm I'm at this is an option. Like it's an option for me to get naked and undress and let this man do his thing. But I was a, comp a complete like I was so panicky around. I was like I am not there. I am not at the point where I am ready to do this at all. I didn't wasn't attracted. Well, I think I could have been attracted to him if the possibility of sex wasn't there. Um, but that just made but you, my but body freeze But then up. something, yeah, something is missing from. I've I've had a few friends in this situation, but they did know they were going for a sex to a sex worker, and and there's nothing wrong with going to a sex worker. But I think no, for no, some no. people, it also kind of it can further play on the low self esteem of the fact that well, if I'm paying this person for this, then this becomes transactional. It's not because they desire me. And how do I know if they actually desire me or not, even if they're flirting with me and acting like they are? And then it triggers the, yeah. that part of you that isn't sure if you are wantable or lovable or fuckable. I apologized so much. I was like, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. I just, is it okay if I don't? Is it okay if I don't? He was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, are you sure? I mean, you've come all this way. <laughs> <laughs> it was but one of the things that because i ended up just telling him like i ended up just talking at him for those three hours and we were talking about consent and i was like can i rehearse setting boundaries which in itself is a funny sentence to say may i please set a boundary but i would kind of boss him around i'd be like i was like trying to listen to what my body wanted and i was like okay he's too close so I said, "Can you sit on the other side of the of the table?" It wasn't a table; it was a massage a massage table. Can you sit on the other side of the massage table? And he was like, "Okay." And I was like, oh. and "I felt so powerful." I was like, "Oh my god, I've like set a boundary." And then I was like, "Okay, could you open the door now? I would like for the door to be a bit open." And he was like, "Okay," and he did. And then as he was standing up and he was like about to walk back, I said, "No, can you close it?" And he said, "Okay." And then when he closed it, I was like, "No, open it." And I was like, I felt it was, it was, I felt mad with power because I could say in, in a situation where sex was on the table, I managed to say these little tiny things that my body wanted. And it was exhilarating. It was mm. exhilarating because I have not been able to do that before at all. I like, as soon as I was in a situation with someone who would have sex with me, I would just shut down for like I went to one of the parts of things I do talk about in the book is going to wit witness uh, a porn shoot with this amazing feminist porn company in Berlin called Erstis E R S T I E S, and I saw the two porn actors actresses talk about the sex they were going to have, and one of them would just be like, "I uh, I really like." Oh, it was amazing. She was like, "I love when someone holds their hand over." my vagina but without touching because i feel like i can feel the energy and that's really sexy i don't like uh when my hair is pulled so i want you to be careful that you don't pull my hair 
and I, I was watching that and I just thought, oh, if I, I would never feel comfortable saying that. I would never feel comfortable saying, please don't pull my hair because I would be so scared that they would go, okay, well, then I'm out. I'm not going to do this if I don't get to pull your hair. Hmm. And I was like, and in that situation, I thought, oh, I'm not ready to have sex yet. If I don't feel like I can say, don't pull my hair, yeah. I should not be having sex right now. I've always said that no one's allowed to come on my face because I have to wash my fringe. But that's <laughs> one of my favorite boundaries that I've ever drawn. Um, but I think that, sorry, <laughs> just the intrusive thought, just one. So no, sorry. that is important. That is very but, important. Yeah. But that was the first ever boundary I ever drew in sex. Is that why you have a, a little parting? Yeah, just you can like, just you can come like a little bindi, you know, like a little Indian bindi, yeah. just of jizz. A little place for the sperm, I think. <laughs> I've just pulled back the curtain to create a landing strip <laughs> for semen. Um, we're not going to let that be the clip, I think. Uh... <laughs> that's the viral clip that's going to feel better yeah. than sex. <laughs> After but... posting this clip, you don't have to wash your fringe. But the reason I said it was just like that was the first time I ever drew a boundary of like asking for something or saying that that's what I don't want and then I similarly with you was like so exhilarated by someone going like okay absolutely I was like oh my god now I'm going to be asked to be kissed differently and I'm going to advocate for myself is there such a thing as a traveler not a delta because we know on one flight Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality so we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Friday. participating McDonald's through 123124. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. And something that you brought up that just like immediately exhilarated me and then it's just been like continuously washing over me again and again in waves is when you were talking about the fact that women feel embarrassed to admit that they are feeling, you know, sexual or horny or anything, even with a partner that they've been with for a long time. I definitely re resonate with that, that I feel like a little bit embarrassed to even initiate because it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be that way and and that we are supposed to be chased. And like I haven't even unpacked that in myself. And when you said it, it was like a nuclear bomb went off in my brain about how confusing that is then, not only for us, but also for other people who are having sex with us because it's just this it turns it turns into a fucking like riddle you know a labyrinth yeah to be able to try and work out what someone's you know what messages someone's actually given to the point where with um and i've spoken about this before on the podcast but my boyfriend and i because i i don't know how to uh flirt or initiate um i will just tug on his a piece of his clothing or he'll tug on a piece of clothing of mine and that's what we've established is like a a way to flirt that makes me feel comfortable and then it's very clear and and then there's no innuendo because I can't stand I can't understand innuendo I can't read between lines and it also just feels like sweet and playful and it's not like a yank it's just like a little a little pull of the um that's of the amazing. clothing that. that feels so gentle and fun and is uh, pretty much the only way that either of us can get laid. No, 
<laughs> That's so cute. All of our clothes have got like a little bit <laughs> stretched on the sleeve. But it's something that... It's a sexy cardigan. That's but I, yeah, exactly. But I highly, side. yeah. Yeah, I don't wear a lot of cashmere, but um, but I would say that it's a, like little cues like that, learning how to like make playful cues with someone that you're having intimacy with that kind of becomes like your secret code to each other. There's a way to make it really sexy that doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just um, I- immune to being sexy, like I'm just incapable. It, it's a nice way that gives you those like little signals but it is it is so interesting and I think a lot of people haven't unpacked that in themselves through the kind of like you know post-sex in the city women's sexual liberation era I think a lot of us still feel a little bit I think the reason that so many people are drawn to the character Samantha especially is because we're so illuminated by her freedom yeah I imagine like even just you saying Samantha made me go oh yeah she gives me an endorphin rush but it's because of her liberty but very few people would say that they are a Samantha they want to act yeah. like a Charlotte, but they love the Samantha-type character the most yeah. because she is the most free and the most wild, and that's what feels like so exciting. But we yeah. would never dare. Most of us would never dare. She feels so safe as well because she's not... I mean, we know she does end up... Get, you know, she does get her heart broken and stuff, but she feels so strong. And I think I, for a long period of time, I was like, okay, so I'm going to be either sexually like free and powerful and fuck it i just want to fuck everyone i don't even give a shit mm-hmm. or i'm going to be really desperate and sad and pathetic and actually have ugh, feelings for the people i sleep with and i couldn't figure out how to be both and i think a lot of that is also about fat people are never seen as sexual in mm-hmm. popular media we're never ever told like and when they are either fat people on tv don't have a sex drive at all they're like mothers or you know the the best friend who never has anyone or they're sexually aggressive mm-hmm. like like desperate if you, when you start noticing that mm-hmm. like no but like aggre- like violent like there are no. scenes in um the only fat person in uh what's it what was it called in assistant Jerry's tv show there were two fat people over the course of i think it's just the first three seasons i saw there was one when they are w- about to walk into a restaurant a restaurant barbecue restaurant in texas and they see fat people going in and they go (laughs) that must be good and then there's another clip where uh, a fat woman is like aggressively sitting on a man trying to have sex with him against as well Mm. and i was like that is such a clear like those are the two tropes we see in popular media it's the fat person who's a joke or it's the fat rapey woman and we and i've (laughs) the roles i have been offered in my time as like, like, oh, this is a comedy TV show. So you would be playing uh, a fat 40-year-old, I was 22, a fat 40-year-old who tries to rape someone. And it's really funny because she's trying to rape him with a big dildo. And it's like, <laughs> or like one of them was, she, she's trying to buy a car battery for her dildo because the joke is, of course, I'm fat. So I use a vibrator that's so big it needs a car battery. Not quite sure. I don't think anyone questioned that joke. Fuck but me. I was so afraid of coming across so when i was f- trying to flirt i would i'm still so afraid of coming across as aggressive because i know that my sexuality is seen as aggressive because i'm fat so like then i try to hide it or i try to own it and become like yeah who wants to fuck to kind of show that i do have a sexuality so it's those two like uh those two tropes that you have to constantly fight with being someone who has no sexuality at all or being like aggressive and rapey because that's the only way you can be fat and sexual. 
Yeah, and uh, there was a comedian called Ranen who recently was talking about the fact that the fat best friend character for guys is often like obsessed with sex. It's the only thing they think about. It's the only thing they yes, talk about. And they're yeah. more concerned with the main handsome protagonist having sex than getting sex themselves. They're like, did you fuck her yet? Did you fuck her? Tell me all about it so I can imagine it and then jerk off to it on my own thinking about the great sex that you had. And that is the, such a memorable 90s American trope of like, that's all they they are. And then also I think with like with larger black women, in media, it's always that they are so sexually aggressive and want to fuck anyone. And there's no type that they have and it doesn't matter the personality of the man. They are always portrayed in this very specific way as if like they'll just take anyone, anyone who's up for yeah. it. And they speak in a very sexually aggressive way. It's like all these tropes yeah. that are just like seeded into our society yeah. so insidiously that then shape and create people's timidity. And it's always poor, poor, conventionally attractive men who are the victims of these fat women. But as soon as they are forced to show them in a relationship, they will only ever be in a relationship with another fat person. It's like they, people can't imagine a fat person mm. and like a conventionally attractive slash thin person being together. Like that is somehow a like a weird, like, no, that can't be. Like, yeah, they can fuck all these men against their will, all these thin men <laughs> against their will, but the love interest will always be another fat person. That's also quite gendered, right? Because you can see a larger man mm. with a slim woman, but you will not see a large woman mm. oh, yeah. very often, almost ever, yeah. with a with a slim man. And then you also never yeah. see a woman, a tall woman with a short man. Like, that just yeah. isn't a done never. dynamic. No. It's just not a thing. Like, I've had to film things where, because the man is shorter than me, I've had to stand in a ditch, <laughs> in an actual ditch that was dug for me, <laughs> rather than people just see... <laughs> me on camera and be taller than someone and it'd be feasible that we would be attracted to each other. It's really odd. Why don't they just place him on a box? Isn't that... I mean, we've tried both. But I guess if they need <laughs> to do like a... I've, I've done it all. <laughs> I've done all the different things. <laughs> Finding a box is easier than digging a hole. But yeah, we had to like, put like Kristen Bell on like a ladder. <laughs> yeah, to get after me. But um, but yeah, I've, I've done it all. But uh, it is such a shame. And, and I really appreciate you explaining how dangerous that is, not only for the way that other people perceive you, but for the way that then you hyper-perceive and hyper-police yourself. Because I think that people don't think about that when they are creating those tropes on camera. They don't think about the fact that that's not just going in for the people who are maybe considering having sex with you, that that's then all you're thinking about is how do I... And these these are racial stereotypes that also exist, and I think Asian people feel very similarly. And it's so unfair that media can have such a massive impact and pour so heavily into society. So where are you at now? Like, you've, this, you've, you've been documenting and kind of journaling your journey through all of this, emotionally, where are you at now? Because you've had therapy, you've spoken to a lot of experts, etc. I mean, I'm I, not expecting that you're at your final destination necessarily, but I am just curious, what, like how this has all shaped you. When I pitched the book two or three years ago now, I was like, and then at the end, I'll go, because there's a sex party, I don't know if it's still there, but there was used to be a sex party in LA for, for plus size people called, I think, Taco Tuesday. Uh, like this big gangbang of fat people and I was like so at the end I go to LA and I'm I do the gangbang and I remember one of the publishers I spoke to was like well we might want to have like an open ending just in case you don't end up at the gang and I was like I will end up at the gangbang and <laughs> I did not read her I did not end up at the gangbang uh, I've ended up in a place where I feel very ready to have healthy consensual fun exciting curious sex with someone when that feels right 
and when I find the person I want to do that with. Which is better, I think, than an orgy uh, at this point in time. For sure. Also, the beans in taco make that, like, it's a dangerous... It's a fascinating It's a dangerous pre-coital meal. But do you feel like you have more of a sense of agency? Are you excited to practice that agency in sex? What I do know is that if I am in the situation and I don't feel agency, I will be able to remove myself, which is way more than I could have said before. Yeah, you have the vocabulary now. And I'm looking for the right thing. Like, I'm looking for someone who is curious and open and who gets it. Like, in the book, my absolute favorite bit is my interview with Juno Roche, who's a a trans author and activist. And the entire chat with them, I was like, wow. The way they talk about their transness, the way they talk about sex, the way they talk about, (laughs) they talk about, in quotes, their beautiful trans cunt. It was just exhilarating, and I hope I've done it justice in the book, um, rehashing that. But the way they talk about sex and how much enjoyment they take from sex, that in itself just made me go, okay, well, now I know what, I, what I'm looking for. Like, I'm looking for this feeling. You have a benchmark, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, and that is possible. For sure, and that's amazing. And what about when it comes to, you know, you, struck, you talked about the fact that since you were younger, body image has impacted the way that you feel like you can move forward sexually. Where are you at with that? Like, do you feel more comfortable in your skin? Do you feel sexier? Your haircut's really hot. Thank you. Well, that's the thing. Throughout the book, I cut off all my hair. So there's a lot of sort of gender stuff and body stuff and sexuality stuff as well that I have to figure out because I don't think I'm going to be looking to have anything to do with men sexually or romantically now, at least right now. So it's also about looking into that and kind of embracing that I look more queer now and I feel more queer and I feel more, I mean, you know, sexuality and gender doesn't have a look, right? But I feel more me now and I know that I'm Mm -hmm. read differently by other people. So I kind of feel like I'm at the very beginning of like a journey. God, so then that that dick in 2016 really might have been the last one ever. 15. That was really... 15. Sorry, 2015. Yeah, then that really was, that was, that was not just au revoir. Maybe. That was, I that was a real I, goodbye. <laughs> I have not said goodbye to penises forever, um, but I, uh, it's, it might be a while until I say welcome back. A hundred percent. Can I just ask for anyone who's like, you know, been listening to this and resonating with a lot of this and maybe with the trauma element or the body stuff? Because it sounds like it's, it's, that's, you know, you're talking about the fact that you're still on that journey. So you're still finding your comfort with your body, finding your comfort with your gender and sexuality, etc. What advice do you have now having gone through so many years of investigating this and investigating yourself? What advice do you have for anyone out there who is struggling with trauma? Something that I would hope, even though it's so fucking inaccessible, is... Therapy feels like a must. I, I think therapy is a, is a very good one. I'm a big supporter, big fan of therapy. Uh, in, in the book, I talked to uh, sex, sex and relationship therapist, Chantelle Gauthier, and she talks about using basically the teachings of the nervous system as something that you can learn on your own. If, you, if therapy is completely inaccessible to you, which it is to, unfortunately, mm-hmm. to a lot of people, I think if you deal with trauma, trauma, like if, if you have anything that's like an actual issue, I would stay as far away from CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy as possible, because that is more of a 
patch kind of solution, you know, mm-hmm. that might make you feel good in the moment, but long term having someone say, try and think positive might not solve your no. deep, deep trauma. But if you have CPTSD or PTSD, learning about the nervous system and learning about the window of tolerance is something that can, and I try to explain it in the book, but of course there are bigger works written about this, like The Body Keeps a Score by, um, this is Bessel van Kolk, his name is. And it's essentially a way that you can, if you can learn how to regulate your nervous system, you're halfway there. And if you can recognize when you are in fight flight mode, when you are in freeze mode, when you are just dysregulated, and when you are present in your body, it, you're halfway there. Because then, then you can tell, oh, I'm in fight flight mode. I probably shouldn't be having sex right now. I probably shouldn't be making big decisions. I probably shouldn't be, you know, I need to regulate my nervous system and come down to earth so I can make a decision that is healthy for me. And that has changed everything for me, learning about that. I've been lucky to learn about that in therapy, but it is something that if you really look into it and you start to recognize that in yourself, uh, it's a thing of feelings. Learning that you can't think feelings, you have to feel feelings, mm. was a, such a revelation Huge light bulb moment. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really wonderful. I hope everyone goes and reads this book, and I also hope that everyone knows that you are so you're just so not alone and there isn't a specific look to the person who is not having sex, the, the amount of my friends who have gone years and years and years, they all look completely different. They're all completely different ages. These are also people who haven't even had a handhold. Like they have not experienced uh, the tiniest bit of intimacy. Uh, they are from different backgrounds. They have different jobs. They make different kinds of money. That There is no soul identity. Uh, you are not part of this like, kind of mi- this minority club. I'd say especially with the growth of like the dating apps and the social media and we live online and we do everything online and we order our food online and we just like don't interact with human beings. Loneliness is is the new pandemic. Like it is the worst it's ever been, I think maybe in history. And it's somehow like we never really recovered from lockdown and we just developed so many negative habits when it came to actually being able to pursue any kind of human contact. So I do just want to reassure you that you have no idea how much less it is about you specifically than you think it is and the things about you that it might be like maybe needing to uncover your trauma these things are all possible to overcome and I'm really happy for you that you've managed to get to this place that feels so much lighter around sex it feels like you're getting back to that 16 year old who was like this is fun it's so nice that you're looking for something that you're looking for pleasure because it's not something that people really feel entitled to and I think a lot of it is that the pressure of when you think about sex, you think about the act of sex, right? You think about, I'm now sitting here in my in my living room, and then the next step is fucking. And if you start to think about the steps in between of like, just seeing someone you like and feeling attracted to them, and then maybe speaking to them, just that first step, just that little tiny, you know, you go and you buy a coffee, and then you just look someone in the eyes and smile, like just the little things, like everything else will feel so less frightening and big if we can just acknowledge that we're all kind of humans going through a lot of messy stuff and if you're anywhere near my generation of people you will not have grown up with the education we should have had around sex and on a very fundamental level like Jody Mitchell who's a drag king um queer and binary drag king in my book says like it's just about enjoying bodies and when you boil it down to something that's so simple it's not that scary it's just about enjoying bodies. It's about being curious about bodies. And that not that fun? How can you think of that as something other than fun? 
Yeah, yeah. It it took me a really long time. And I think it was after taking that very, very, very long, uh, I think three or four year break from sex that I was able to reapproach it, not as something I do to please someone else or to appease someone else. But I finally learned to look at it as playing. I get yeah. it's playtime. And it's playtime. and it took me a really long time, especially because I had so much child abuse, you know, like in my past. I didn't abuse any children, just to be very clear. I was abused in case that comes across not clearly. Um, so just, it's like sometimes I'm like, I'm an eating really disorder advocate. And like, no, just like, I'm an eating disorder advocate. I worry that people think I advocate for eating disorders. So sometimes the wording of that could be a bit clumsy, but that's something I experienced. So it just took me forever to look at sex as something that was mine yeah. or ours, yeah. you know, mine and the person. It always felt like it was just theirs and I was there to facilitate um, yeah. as if I was in service and now it's just play and I never thought I would get there given my history and I I seek to reassure people that you can for me I tried a short course of EMDR therapy which again isn't always super accessible but it is mainstream you can get it on the National Health Service in the UK and in several countries around the world unlike America that actually look after their people but it is very quick and very effective for things like PTSD if you find the right therapist that was something I used as long as just listening to my body as Sophie's saying and and working to find a partner who similarly and suitably also wanted to play who didn't want to make it this intense thing or this battle or this ego trip yeah. just before you go when you do have sex again are you going to tell everyone like because because like i, I imagine that everyone's going to be waiting with like bated breath it. to find out like <laughs> has it happened well, the, do, do you feel like a pressure is. now that you're putting it out there like this well, I think at the moment, like this is the first time I've properly spoken about the book in public. So I've yet to get all the questions about my current sex life. <laughs> okay. So I'm Have like, I just I, injected I that like... pressure into you? I'm no, so sorry no, that you're first time coming. chatting about it. <laughs> I, know it's, I know it's coming. And I can, I, I feel, weirdly, I feel bad for the, for the person I'm going to have sex with. I feel worse for them. Because like, <laughs> there's a whole book about this. Like, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Better be good. Yeah, I mean, we'll both be under pressure, won't we? Of like, <laughs> so this is the ending to that book that you wrote last year or when, whenever, five years ago. Who knows when it'll happen? Mm-hmm. So, like, but that's the part of part of what I'm I've learned in the book is the one step at a time. And if it feels one too step scary, at a time, and that you don't owe anyone anything, and you can yeah. tell us or never and tell always, us, and and it was gonna it was gonna be it was gonna be weird and messy anyways because. Mm. You know, even if there wasn't a book, I would still be like, I don't think I've remembered how to do this. Or if it's with someone with a vagina, I've never done this bit before. So, you know, yeah, there's a book, but also, oh, <laughs> let's just, yeah. let's see. Well, I mean, maybe there'll be a whole other book after this. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, the next the book, book called, I Can't yeah. Stop Having Sex. Yeah. <laughs> will I ever, stop, will having I ever stop having sex? having sex? The second book. <laughs> For and each page is just a picture of me high-fiving you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was such a pleasure thank you for for allowing me to be one of the first people to talk to you about this this is such an intimate yeah, and important anytime. subject and you know that I'm you. madly in love with you and so thank oh, you nice. for giving me this great honour and I'm really excited about the book it is available for pre-order now and then it's coming out in May and 
If you aren't already following Sophie online, then what the fuck are you doing? Because they are the funniest. <laughs> the funniest and the best um, and just the warmest hug on the internet. And I'm also taking the book on a book tour, book and stand-up tour, where I'll do a stand-up show about some of the sex I've had. And uh, <laughs> and then I'll, there's going to be like a Q&A and uh, I'm going to be signing books afterwards. That's in June and July, sort of all over the UK. Amazing. I can't wait. I will, be, I will be coming to that um, and I will be expecting... Mm it to be like Caligula will all just be shagging I imagine. yeah oh yeah and then there's a yeah I forgot to mention the fact that there's going to be an orgy yeah, yeah. after every show and tacos yeah yeah, yeah I forgot Ta- tacos and orgy yeah. <laughs> yeah. taco Fridays yeah. um, I think you have to have a taco truck at this tour um, thank you so much for coming on today everyone yeah. go follow and read all the things that Sophie does and says and uh, love you lots and and come back when you finally have sex and tell me all about it no don't do that <laughs> <laughs> but come back anytime you'll just receive a selfie of a thumbs up and then you'll know it might be fun to do an ask me anything episode at some point and maybe get you back to but the one have sex, people the one sex no, no 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 as in on this subject so people can ask some more specific questions oh, that maybe yeah, I haven't that. asked so maybe when the book actually comes out I'll have you back and we could do that but for now uh, Sophie Hagen I love you I love you Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself Jamila Jamil Erin Finnegan Kimmy Gregory and Amelia Chapelo. and the beautiful music that you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend James Blake and if you haven't already please rate, review and subscribe to the show it's such a great way to show your support and helps me out massively and lastly at I Weigh we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast please email us a voice recording sharing what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh my resilience and resourcefulness. I weigh the ability to get through whatever shit life gives me. I weigh the power to keep going. I weigh being myself. At Delta, we know Mike and HC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.